And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. Good morning. Welcome to the Daily Football Briefing from The Athletic. It's Friday the 13th of October. I'm Adam Leventhal. Today... As England prepare to play Australia, the Premier League and Football Association comment on Israel and Palestine. It's obviously a very difficult decisions for them to make. Elsewhere, Spain strengthened their Euro 2024 chances as Scotland are made to wait. The game plan seemed to be to try and frustrate Spain. They did that pretty well. And no Old Trafford at the UK and Ireland Euro 2028 tournament. Why? Yeah, they've just left the ground to stagnate a bit, really. This is the Daily Football Briefing with Adam Leventhal. We start with the news that both the FA and Premier League have announced that they will remember the victims of the ongoing conflict in Israel and Palestine. Black armbands will be worn by England and Australia players at Wembley this evening and a period of silence will be held. The same will happen when Premier League fixtures resume and the Premier League will make a donation to the British Red Cross appeal. Our England reporter, Tim Spears, can bring us more. Uh, Tim, just explain the timeline of this FA statement and also what Gareth Southgate has had to say. Yeah, so there's obviously a lot of pressure on the FA to make the right call here. It's obviously a very sort of sensitive topic and difficult decisions for them to make in terms of how to respond and how to pay their respects in the correct way. Really not an easy thing for them. So they, what they've decided is um, there'll be a period of silence before the game. Players are going to wear black armbands. They've also said that anyone bringing sort of flags or kits that aren't to do with competing nations in the next two games, i.e. England v Australia and England v Italy, won't be allowed inside the stadium. But another issue here is that in the past, when there have been tragedies or atrocities or, or anything along those lines, the, the arch at Wembley has on occasion been lit up in the colours of the nation that's been affected by that. So there have been calls to light it blue, to reflect Israel, but that hasn't happened. So, um, Gareth Southgate was asked in his pre-match press conference uh, here at the Tottenham Hotspur training ground up in Enfield, North London, as to um, what he sort of made of that. Basically said, and, and, and you know, Southgate always speaks very well on these issues and had obviously sort of pre-prepared what he wanted to say. And he said his thoughts and feelings are with everybody out there who has suffered or lost relatives or friends in these attacks and said how disturbing it is. And also spoke of how on a broader scale in his lifetime, it's one of the most complex situations in the world. And he says everybody's kind of grappling how best to deal with it. He did say that what he thought that the FA had consulted with everybody they possibly could in terms of how to um, sort of pay tribute on Friday night and he said they've tried to make the best decision with good intentions and that clearly whatever decision they did make would have been criticised in one way or another which I think is a very valid point to make so he recognises how difficult it was he wasn't involved in that decision process and he said discussions went on for a long time to really decide what to do here. Now the Culture Secretary Lucy Fraser has also been commenting on what is being done and she wanted more just just explain. 
The Culture Secretary, Lucy Fraser, effectively speaking on behalf of the government, has said that she is extremely disappointed by the FA's decision not to light up the Wembley Arch following last weekend's horrific terrorist attacks. She said she's made her views very clear to the FA and calls it especially disappointing in light of the FA's bold stance on other terrorist attacks in the recent past. So it's clearly a very, very divisive issue um, and one which is going to continue and I guess overshadow Friday night's match against Australia. And Tim, in terms of the footballing side of this fixture, did Gareth Southgate hint at who's going to play against Australia? Yes, yeah, so uh, England have a big qualifier against Italy on Tuesday. They're very close to wrapping up qualification for the Euros now. I don't think anybody doubts that they will qualify for the tournament, particularly given that their last two games are against uh, Malta at home and North Macedonia away in November. But obviously, yeah, qualification hasn't been assured yet, so the Italy game, clearly far more important and also a good game for them to prepare for the Euros. You know, it's Italy at home is going to be their last big competitive test before the European Championships next summer. There are spots, not just in Southgate squad but I also think in his team for the Euros which is still up for grabs certainly when you think of the fact that Harry Maguire would be a guaranteed starter under Southgate but the fact that he's getting very few minutes for Manchester United if that continues over the course of the season you'd have to question his place in the team I think you look at Jordan Henderson and Calvin Phillips two sort of mainstays of Southgate's midfield in the past few years for differing reasons I think their place would also be in doubt if Phillips isn't playing for Man City and if Henderson's out in Saudi Arabia Um, and then I think you also look at the left forward spot which Marcus Rashford's made his own once upon a time but has has, uh, his form suffered this season I think you look at Jack Grealish having not really nailed down that place over a number of years now and then you look at James Madison the most recent um, person to get that shirt on the left of midfield it's not where he's doing his best work for Spurs so he's maybe been shoehorned a little bit into a place in the squad because of his good form for Spurs but not necessarily in his best position so in my mind anyway that those three positions are still slightly up for grab. Now to the headlines from Thursday night's Euro 2024 qualifiers. Great ball in from Navas and Alvaro Morata does get the breakthrough for Spain. Spain beat Scotland 2-0 in Seville to close the gap at the top of Group A to just three points and Spain in second have a game in hand. Our reporter Dermot Corrigan was there. Now the 2-0 scoreline, Dermot, it looks relatively comfortable for Spain, but it wasn't that simple on the pitch, was it? No, not at all. Spain had lots of the ball, as Spain often do in games, but Scotland defended pretty well, had that goal ruled out, which is a major talking point in the game. And that from there, maybe Scotland were a little bit deflated and Spain scored. And then that was the, that was the game, really. They added another goal, but it was another performance, a bit like Norway at home earlier on in the group where Spain didn't play great, but scored a couple of goals at the end and are still well on course for qualification. How did you feel Scotland dealt with the fixture? They struggled in doing much with the ball, really. Spain had majority of possessions gotten where, you know, the, the game plan seemed to be to try and frustrate Spain. They did that pretty well. But then when they had possession themselves, they weren't really able to do much with it. The chance that they had from the free kick came more from Spain dallying around and messing, giving away the free kick. And then it was a brilliant strike by McTominay. And then we have to change their mind over why they disallowed it. But it, it's been disallowed. But uh, Scotland, I guess if they had got a nil all, they would have been happy. And that's where they were heading at some stage. But um, they need to create more with the ball, I think it's, it's fair to say. And looking ahead, Scotland have a friendly against France, but Spain have a qualifier against Norway. What would you say now is the mood around Spain going into that one? Quite confident, I think. There's been so much going on in Spain with Rubiales, the president leaving, getting the World Cup and everything. And it's still, you know, it's quite a new coach in De La Fuente and a new enough team, you know, new leaders in the team, Morata, Rodri, people like that. They feel it's coming together. I'm not that sure about it, really. Um, Yet to see them really play that well. But I guess, you know, 
the West said in the group. And if they win in Norway, they're, they're true. Even if they get a draw or even if they lose, they're still probably go, going to go through. So because of the way it's set up, so many teams qualify for the Euros, they should be safe. But still, I think there's a long way to go before we talk about Spain as one of the favourites for the Euros next summer. And one final one. One of the goal scorers last night, Alvaro Morata, is now just one goal shy of tying David Silva for fourth on the all-time Spain goal-scoring list. Do you think he's gone under the radar a little bit for Spanish fans? Yeah, he's kind of crept up there along the way. Here in, in Cartuca during the, the last year or two, he's been whistled by, by his own fans. He's a strange guy. Morata's had a strange career. He's played for so many of Europe's top clubs without ever really convincing. But he's, he's doing well this season. Atletico, you know, probably wanted to sell him in the summer, but they didn't, there wasn't many buyers for him. Simeone had a chat with him, focused him, gave him confidence, I think. And he's a very streaky player, always Morata, but he can score goals, does score goals. And, you know, it's there. He's national captain now and he, he's climbing the ranks. He'd be a strange kind of national hero for Spain. But, um, yeah, he's heading that way at the minute. Dermot, thank you. The other result in Group A. Corner, which has bounced all the way through for Haaland. Stop that if you can. Erling Haaland scored two in Norway's 4-0 victory against Cyprus. Elsewhere in another battle of the top two in Group D. Barishal for Yilmaz! Livakovic came and got nowhere near. And it's first blood Turkey. Second place Turkey won 1-0 in Croatia to close the gap to just three points with a game in hand. You're listening to the Daily Football Briefing from The Athletic. Now to more on Euro 2028. The UK and Ireland, as we know, are going to be hosting it. There'll be 10 venues. One of them is in Manchester, but it's not Old Trafford. Games are going to be played across the city at the Etihad, the home of rivals Manchester City. Here to explain more is Daniel Taylor. Simple question. First up, why is one of the biggest stadiums in England not hosting games in that tournament? Well, it's a great question because it's the biggest club ground in uh, in England. It's always in the past been, you know, one of the forerunners. You know, I remember when England were sort of redeveloping Wembley, they came up to Old Trafford. But to quote Ali Gunnar Solskjaer, it's been neglected. It's big enough. Um, it's in Manchester, obviously one of the, the major cities, but essentially they've chosen to go with Manchester City's ground because it's a more modern ground. And, and unfortunately, United, uh, under the current regime, have, yeah, they've just left the ground to stagnate a bit, really. It's become a bit of a cliche about the hole in the roof and people getting soaked. And but unfortunately, sometimes the cliches, you know, there's a bit of truth in them as well. And just on the background, was it was it ever in the mix? It automatically would be just because of the size. You know, it holds seventy four thousand people. Um, there's no other ground. You know, most of the other big grounds hold about sixty thousand. So it's obviously the biggest. But the problem is that UEFA, when they're in this selection process, it's more than just the size. You know, they they need the best media facilities the best kind of corporate areas they need everything like you know really minute details right down to the kind of like you know the almost like the kind of like the type of light bulbs that they use for the floodlights you know it's it's really quite meticulous and united have just um yeah they've just been left behind basically there is it's very i think it's very typical of this current regime and how and how it's run you know they, they've done the bare minimum and it's kind of caught up with them and what are the plans for redevelopment of Old Trafford? Is it just solely dependent on what happens in terms of the takeover of Manchester United? 
Yeah, well, they were, they were getting so much heat uh, a while back because, as I say, whenever it rained, you know, there were big sort of torrents coming through and soaking fans, and it, became, it just became a bit of a joke. And you know, Old Trafford was all, you know, it's, it's a, I mean, don't get me wrong, it's a, it's a brilliant football place, you know, you know, great history. You know, when you're there, you, you it's not just a normal ground. You know, you know, you're at Old Trafford, and you know, it used to be known as the Theatre of Dreams. And it's just kind of like slightly lost that special edge. And they they did announce that they were having a um, preliminary sort of talks. They'd brought in some specialists to look at ways of redeveloping the ground, possibly even you know building it on the site next door rebuilding it that's all been now put on hold while this alleged takeover is 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 sort of being discussed and you know unfortunately that's taking very long so yeah it was a very briefly run thing that they were looking at it but now it's on hold and nobody really knows what's going to happen until the takeover if it ever happens does go through now tonight there are seven euro 2024 qualifiers including three meetings of top twos in qualifying groups the pick is Netherlands against France in Group B. You can watch all of the action on Via Play in the UK or Fox Sports 2 in the US. And if you want to watch England against Australia at Wembley, that's at 7.45 in the UK on Channel 4. That's 2.45 Eastern on Fox Soccer Plus. Right, that's all for today. Thank you very much for listening. I've been Adam Leventhal. Your producer was Mike Zimmerman. Executive producer was Ian McIntosh. If you're new to the show, thank you very much for listening. We'd love you to subscribe if you can and come back for more. Feel free to leave us a review if you would like to go the extra mile as well. That would be much appreciated. Tim Spears, who you heard from earlier on in the show, will be in the host seat on Monday. Take care till then. The Athletic. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.